Well, have a good evening, folks. It's time to share the Word of God, and I think that is the definition of a good evening. It's always wonderful to feast on the words of Jesus and the words of God for us. And I'm going to share with you a passage from Acts chapter 27. If you join me with me, I'm going to start in verse 13 and read verse uh, 13 through uh, 26. And that's Acts 27, 13 through 26. And it's recounting the story of uh, Paul on the sea. It says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up in the wind, we let her drive, and running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them, and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, I must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Jesus, I pray, God, that you'd help us to learn about your word and about your ways, to understand that you are God, to understand that we should trust in you in that respect and allow you to do what you will do and trust you and believe you for the very best. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you tonight about this subject, who's in control? Now, from our text and before our text, I want to help you to understand that uh, Paul had warned these people not to take this trip. He was he was bound for Rome. He was a prisoner, and he was bound for Rome uh, because of the accusations made against him by the Jewish leaders, and they were going to take his case to the Romans uh, because Paul had appealed to Caesar. And so he was not free, and yet he gave his advice. He had godly advice, and they didn't listen. Uh, but uh, he wasn't a mariner, but he had experience, and he had the Holy Ghost, and he gave them some advice to not make this trip. But uh, they thought they had the expertise, and they thought they knew better than God. They didn't realize probably at this time uh, the connection that Paul had with God. And later, when they fell into the circumstances that they did through the storm that they uh, got involved in, uh, they realized that maybe they should listen to this man, Paul. But uh, his warnings were ignored, and they thought they knew what they were doing, and they found out, as so many people do the hard way, uh, that it's best to listen to the voice of God. And when he has a leader that is obviously a humble, godly leader, to listen to the leader. So they fought the elements in, in, in an attempt to control their circumstance. And that's the obvious thing that anybody would do. Any decent mariner would not just flop on the deck and hope for the best. 
but all of their efforts were in vain. The only effort that could ever help was the effort that God himself would allow to be successful. We live in a time that I asked my dad, I said, have you ever seen anything like this? And he said, I've never seen anything like this, the lockdowns that are happening. We have a virus apparently that is uh, spreading throughout the whole world and not just in America, but in nations around the world, there are people that are being restricted to their own homes. The virus needs to be controlled so that the way to control the virus is to control the people that would carry the virus, obviously, and to flatten the curve of how many people get sick all at once. Uh, people need to be restrained. So in other words, to control the virus, people need to be controlled. And the people in charge of controlling the people are going to be the governments of these countries. Some of them autocratic governments already, very used to exercising absolute totalitarian control over their people. And some of them uh, d democracies that uh, the people are not used to having other people tell them what to do and what not to do. And actually enacting laws and rules whereby uh, the people don't have the freedoms that they're used to having. Now, sometimes the people can be bought off because they can be um, placated with the idea that, well, you know, we'll give you money if you'll just stay home. We'll, we'll pay you checks. And obviously that can't last forever because if people aren't producing, there's no wealth to be had. You can't just print money and have that equal wealth. And uh, don't make any uh, mistake about it. Uh, the rich people aren't going to pay for it. They'll simply pass the cost on to everybody else. So the working class will ultimately pay for it. And so the government's attempts to control is kind of leading to things that are out of control. And the control has been put more on local governments, on, on whole states, and then on counties, on cities to Try to control what's the situation. And I would ask the question, well, then who is in control? Ironically, we're finding many instances, and of course they're publicized, where the police are out of control that are trying to control the people. And they don't understand the boundaries of which they should operate. And there are rules being made which are too draconian, obviously. They have little to do with whether somebody... Uh, could be spreading the virus, and yet uh, we see people's civil rights being taken away. Uh, this could be a slippery slope, but people's control of their own lives is being taken away by other people. Now, human nature wants to be in control. We all want to control our own destiny, don't we? And we would like sometimes too much to control other people's destiny. There is a propensity in human nature for dominance, and unfortunately, a lot of people's idea of a relationship is if they can dominate other people, then they can have a good relationship. And they're very frustrated if they can't dominate other people and have their way. And they find themselves as lonely people because other people don't want to be dominated. People want to have freedom. They want liberty. And so people try to dominate inside of their workplace and, and gain the, the, the whoever is the top dog. I remember an amusing story that a coworker told me of how he just uh, got on a construction crew and began barking orders and acting dominant. And pretty soon, uh, just his dominant behavior caused him to be in control of the place. 
also told me a story about how he went into a lumber yard once and started acting like he owned the place and telling the yard workers what to do and where to go and, and how to do everything. And he was just a customer, but he was trying to make sure he got his stuff first. Now, that's kind of funny. Some people don't do that as a joke or as a practical uh, joke, but they, they, they do it as a matter, of course, of how they conduct their lives. They, they thrill at controlling other people. I think that's a, a problem. Anyway, uh, there's people that want to dominate their industry, the people that feel like they have to be in control of their whole industry or control through government. Uh, I don't want to be cynical, but I would say I, I hold anybody that wants to be in government with suspicion. Why do you want to be in control? Sure, everybody's going to say they want to do what's good, um, but it seems like some people just desire to be in control. But... Uh, Everyone's, the reason they want to be in control is because they want to have it their way, right? And everybody wants to have things their way. And if they can control everybody else, well, they can have it their way. So God gave us a, rules and God has a reason for the rules that he gave us. Because there's boundaries in which we need to keep ourselves because we have a tendency in our desire to dominate others to go over the boundaries that are others. So if you looked in Exodus chapter 20 and you could read backwards uh, through the Ten Commandments, you could begin to deduce that there is uh, boundaries God puts on people because they do want to be in control of things they really have no business trying to control. Uh, when they step over the boundary of self and start to uh, dominate other people. For instance, in, um, from verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, his maidservant. You're, you're stepping there into the boundary of wanting what somebody else has. You're not accepting God's provision for yourself. And you wish that you had whatever, whatever that other person had. And Verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Well, why do people tell lies? Why do they do the things? They have a certain outcome that they expect by the false accusation that they make, usually it's not a good motive to begin with. Uh, you would think that we could be honest and achieve our goals through honesty and simply educating. But we're finding ourselves in an age of misinformation. And we should pause and think about that. Why do people want to misinform other people? And what is their agenda? I'm thankful that as a preacher of the gospel, there is no call for me to be dishonest. There is no purpose for me to be dishonest. There is no uh, thing to be gained. We have open manifestation of the truth. We're not walking in craftiness or in guile. We don't have a secret society. We're not having secret rituals. Anything we have in the gospel, we gladly and openly share with everybody in the world. Come on in, the water's fine. But then if you look further in the book of Exodus and the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. You want to control objects, things. Why? Jesus said that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things that he owns. But our materialistic society has made it whereby we think that if we have more things, we will be better off. And the funny bumper sticker says, he that dies with the most toys wins. The retort bumper sticker says, he that dies with the most toys still dies. Bible says thou shalt not kill and when you have killed somebody you have exercised the mastery the ultimate control over them. 
I remember reading about a uh, mass murder and the reason he gave to somebody interviewing him of why he killed people, why he enjoyed it when they begged him for mercy and he didn't give it to him is because he felt great power. He, he, he loved the feeling of being their God. He loved the sense of control. Now we could go back all the way to the very first statement of God. We could go back through the, the commandment to keep the Sabbath day in which we have to step, step back for a day and say, well, we don't have to do everything all the time our way. We can let God be in control at least one day of the week. But it all begins really with the first commandment. And uh, I would I would invite you to read the other commandments in light of this notion of control. But uh, God says, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This means that ultimately God should be in control of every believer's life. And a believer only follows the controls that man put on them for conscience sake, for the glory of God. And when it falls into the parameters that God already allows, it is nonsensical to think that a Christian then should obey laws which are immoral. But it's totally reasonable to expect a Christian to be the very best of citizens in all other regards. But human nature lusts after more control. We might be doing that, I, I grant, because sometimes people have been mistreated and they feel like they can keep themselves out of bad situations if they can control other people. But uh, God gave us these rules because anarchy can only lead to annihilation. We must be controlled. Let me put it to you this way. When I was training one of my, my children and I and he had a tendency to be less less obedient than other children and more dangerous to the other children and, and, and to himself, I simply put it to him this way. I said, you need to control yourself or somebody else eventually will be controlling you. And what I meant by that is laws and rules, society would not allow them to continue to act whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. They needed to realize to maintain a certain level of freedom. They were going to have to fall into the lines of whatever the rest of society is demanding, or they would find themselves eventually uh, penalized, fined, and incarcerated. So we need to practice, in other words, self-control, amazingly, so that we can remain free. An immoral people, an out-of-control people, is a people that's destined to be slaves. Now, um, there was a book written by George Orwell in 1949 or 8, and the title of the book is 1984. And what's intriguing about this book is he talked about in this book what London would be like in 1984, and it was a drab and poverty-stricken place. There was war going on that people did not understand. Uh, rockets would fly into London periodically, but nobody understood why. And at the time, uh, the, the leaders of the city, uh, this is where we get Big Brother is watching you. They put posters all over this city to remind people that 
that the government was constantly watching them, that they had uh, mo- te- television monitors. They needed, they were required to leave them on all of the time because the government was watching them through these monitors. And they were not allowed uh, to have freedom of thought. They were they were swept up constantly in exercises of, of loyalty to the state. And I couldn't help but think when I was rethinking about this, how much the surveillance state is so much of the way that uh, modern day China is. It says in, in that book, 1984, one of the malefactors in the book says, we want to control the way you think. We want to control what you think. We want you to agree with us when we tell you dark is light and light is dark and, and, uh, we want to have absolute control over your mind. And I thought, isn't that strange? In China now, we should pray for them. In China now, they are exercising a surveillance state that uh, people are being followed all over the place through the use of cameras on every street corner. There's facial recognition whereby uh, the government authorities can tell who's who is who, where they are, what they're doing. Um during this COVID scare, they have drones uh, literally flying around, uh, blaring out orders to people to wear masks. People that will not quarantine themselves are being welded into their homes, literally welded their doors shut into their homes. And uh, we think that we have our freedoms restricted. We'll be careful because if we do not defend liberty, we will lose liberty. But in a spiritual way, if we do not defend our spiritual liberty and understand where it comes from and why we have it and how to maintain it, we will lose our spiritual liberty as well. So in China, they have a social merit system. Uh, people that are considered to be non-compliant with the uh, ideal citizen are are restricted from traveling. They're not allowed on buses. They're not allowed to take public transportation. They're given uh, the bottom rung opportunities of their society. And this is just a corner of the reality that is the daydream of the new world order. Now, this may seem like it's conspiratorial, but it's really only natural to expect that people would want to throw off the rulership of God, and yet in the vacuum of God not being in control, some of them would desire to be gods over the rest of us. So they want to control the, the, the flow of information, and they want to change the narrative. They want to control what is said and what is not said. In China, there's not freedom to peruse the whole internet, but your internet activity is, is, is watched as well. I wonder if in America there aren't forces that are watching what we're watching. Be careful what you look at. And so it's almost a scary thing to think about anything where you would uh, peruse articles or information or blogs or videos that would be against uh, what you might think is the government line. But uh, it, this only erupts because of so much misinformation, because it's amazing right now we have a hard time figuring out what's really going on. Now, we know something's going on, but we don't really know to what depth it's going on. And the control of information shows itself on our college campuses where there's safe zones, where dissent is not allowed, and the, and the liberal uh, 
speak is all that is allowed on the campus. You can't speak outside of that. You can't talk about traditional American values. You only need to part, uh, parrot the party line and and it's it, it's deemed unsafe. They're so brainwashed that the students think that it's it's only safe if they keep me in these parameters where the, the teachers can brainwash me. And it's a perfect scenario to brainwash people. You you wear them out constantly with too much studying, and then you can tell them anything. And you get them to have enjoyment by allowing them to be uh, drug addicts or alcoholics. So way too much alcoholism. Uh, on the college campuses and they just kind of uh, become dazed people accepting whatever. These are the people that are going to be our leaders in the future. Um, but there's an arrogance of self-styled elite-ism. Whether you're part of a cadre of people that's the elite or whether you are someone that just thinks that you're smarter than everybody else, thinks that you know better. There's a kind of a, an arrogance that says that I know best or you know best. Is there an arrogance that says that because you know best, that you would do what's best? There's an arrogance that says that you have pure motives while others probably don't. They're either foolish, ignorant, or evil. And that you would keep your good motives, that power wouldn't corrupt you, that money wouldn't corrupt you, that you wouldn't compromise at all if you were in control. That you're some sort of a superman. And before you go too far in imagining this could never happen to anybody, I want you to re be reminded of the totalitarian history of the world. I want to remind you that Stalin was a true believer in communism. He told himself and people around him, even though he was exercising absolute dictatorial powers, that he told himself that he was doing it for the good of the people. So he slaughtered millions of his own people in the name of being in control. We can think about the Cultural Revolution in China and the absolute thought control, the very best and the very brightest, the doctors, the lawyers, the thinkers. They were annihilated because they, they were the potential enemies of the state. They would not tolerate people actually thinking for themselves. They were dehumanizing their populace. They were dumbing them down. And so we could think about a Hitler with his real belief, apparently, from everything I've ever seen, that he really thought that the Aryans were a superior race and grappling after some sort of personal significance, uh, thinking that himself be, to be an Aryan, which is laughable if you know what I'm talking about, uh, and that the Aryans would be blue-eyed, blonde-haired people. It's all absurdity. But anyway, he thought that they were the dominant race and they needed to get rid of the Jews and, 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 uh, and lessen the populations, at least, of the, of the, the Slavic peoples. They were an inferior people. How ironic to consider that because those Slavic peoples were his chief enemy in the Eastern Front of World War II and proved themselves to be a formidable em enemy, perhaps not as effective as they could have been because their leadership was not that brilliant at the top level. But in the generalship and in the lower levels, they had some very brilliant warriors. The point that I'm making isn't to commend the Russian army. The point that I'm making is to show the totalitarianism of Hitler he thought that he was doing what was best for humanity. At least he told himself that. Today we look at that with horror when we can go to the very death camps 
that he instituted for his final solution of getting rid of the Jewish problem. We could also think of about somebody from World War II era, era named Mussolini, who was a vocal person, uh, outspoken and eloquent, uh, a fluid writer, and yet his ideas changed. And it seems like the only thing that Mussolini really wanted was to be the one that everybody listened to. So he was the former of the fascists. All of these things, and then later examples like Pol Pot, later examples even of presidents that have thought that their way was the best way, that you you could just see the arrogance in the way that they talked, that the little people were too stupid to be respected, that people shouldn't be viewed as the image of God with their own brains and with their own will, but they needed to be dominated, they needed to be controlled. What I'm getting at here is these people have this problem that they believe that they are smarter than other people. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. If any among you seem, seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. People thinking that they're wise, wiser than God, figured out a way to circumvent God, to get around God's rules. We don't need, we don't need the fear of God in government. We don't need to have God anywhere. We, they, there's an imagined freedom from religion, which has nothing to do with the uh, separation of church and state. And there's a, a certain kind of a of a arrogance that lends itself to thinking, well, we, we don't need God. Uh, we've got Darwin. Uh, we can explain everything away. We're the masters of our own fate. But sadly, when we do that, ultimately, we just degrade ourselves. We take ourselves down to being nothing more than mere intelligent apes. All these people, Mussolini and Stalin and Hitler, they all had one thing in common. If you could hear in the back of their mind the call of their depraved nature, and that is, I must be in control. I want to ask you tonight, who's in control? We certainly wouldn't want to be in control of an evil dictator now, would we? Do we really want to be controlled by people that just think they know better than us, that, that think that they're doing better so, uh, better than us? I remember doing some work for a lady and her comment was, well, there's just too many people. And I couldn't help but say, well, what are we supposed to do about that? Do you propose that we abort children? Do you propose that maybe we need to take measures to depopulate the earth? Is it a good thing when people die? What do you mean by that? There's too many people. I would disagree with her. I would say there's not too many people. I would say that God made everybody. I would say that God made them in the image of God. I would say that if the individual has no dignity, there is nobody at all anywhere that has dignity and the human race is not dignified. That there's no, there's no reason for anybody to exist if the individual has no purpose and, and reason, if he's not made in the image of God. I would say to such a person, I be careful of the slippery slope that you've put yourself on because you've just entered into the realm of playing God if you're playing with human populations. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. 
but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. We made a big mistake as a, as a, as a species to step away from God and imagine that we were smarter than him. And beware of cheap virtue. This is what I mean by cheap virtue. People want to save the earth. They can be addicted to drugs. They can be addicted to illicit sexuality. They can be addicted to alcohol. They can hate everybody in their world, but they, they make up for it by pretending that they're saving the planet because they recycle. Maybe they don't recycle, but they tell everybody else to recycle. Ironically, I'm not really one of those save the planet people. I recycle. I just think it's good stewardship. I'm not going to tell you you're an immoral person if you don't do it. I save a little money on my gas, excuse me, on my uh, my garbage fees if I recycle. It just seems like a logical thing to do. I think stewardship is a good idea. But I don't kid myself. I'm not saving the planet. But you see, that's cheap virtue because you can be out of control when you're, quote unquote, saving the planet. What more noble thing could you do? You know, you're the savior of the whole earth. We don't need Jesus. We've got people saving the planet, right? But uh, that's not real virtue. And they can go around talking about everybody else's carbon footprint, but they've got a carbon footprint. Why don't they make, give us an example and take away their carbon footprint? It's ironic because some of the leaders of the environmental movement, you want to talk about uh, some of their spokesmen and look at the carbon footprint that they're leaving. But they justify it just like the communist leaders do. The communist leaders live in the lap of luxury and power while the rest of the people live in poverty. You see, I'm just trying to get something through here, folks. We really can't trust other people to be in control, can we? And we can't trust ourselves to be in control because power corrupts. There's a reason why people are suspicious of uh, Bill Gates. I'm thankful in some ways for the things that he has done. He's been a benevolent person in so many ways to give to causes. At least on the surface, it looks good. And then there's people that say, well, he's got a vested interest in gaining more power. Now, the reason why I might believe that is because of my experience as a human being, that people that get power get more, want more power. I wonder, I question, I shake my head sometimes, how much money do you need when somebody can give a speech that's worth millions of dollars and I don't think they have a dime worth of things to say. They're not telling us about God and about eternal life. They're just spouting nonsense about their ideology that really isn't God's ideology. I mean, we should pay them to shut up. Uh, I'm trying to not be rude here, but I'm just trying to tell you that when we take God out of the picture, we're, we're the ultimate fools. And as power corrupts an ultimate absolute power corrupts absolutely as the saying goes i think that is reflected in scripture although those words aren't there i would say that money because it is powerful uh, causes people to seek more power and to use it in a way that is inappropriate there are characters on the stage of humanity right now that i could refer you to that are using their influence and it's not a good influence it's certainly not something that you would want for yourself or your family I would say this to the environmentalist, before you try to save the earth, why don't you get saved? Why don't you recognize that you're not all that virtuous and not all that moral? Why don't you stop your rebellion against God and, and submit yourself and come under, get, get control of yourself before you try to control everybody else? Sometimes I thank God that none of us is God. We're so selfish. We're so immoral. 
thank God. We would kid ourselves that we're moral, but then we would do terrible, awful things. I don't think any of us really is all that much better than these dominators. It's just maybe a little bit more conscience to hold us back, maybe a little bit more government to hold us back, but hopefully it would be the government of God holding us back. I don't want to have Satan's problem. Satan has a problem. His problem is pride, the original sin. His problem is that he wanted to supplant God himself. He gave this famous I wills of Isaiah chapter 14. He said in Isaiah chapter 14, starting at verse 12, God speaking to him says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet God speaks to him in the next verse and says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Utter destruction is slated by Almighty God for anybody that would pretend or anyone that would have the pretense of, of thought that they could become God, that they could take his place, that they could, in a manner of speaking, exclude him from being in control. I know I've spoken about these things recently and it seems to be something that's on my mind, but I'm not really trying to uh, bring you to a point where you... Uh, you are mad at the government or, or mad at humanity. But I want to ask you the question that's in the title. Who's in control? Who's in control? You see, Satan couldn't control us outright, so he manipulated us as a race. He lied to Adam and Eve. He said, you shall not surely die, but you shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. He offered humanity the same hang-up that he had. He didn't want God to be in control. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to tell people, you can be in control. There's secret knowledge that you can have, and you can, you can then control things, you know. It was his lust. Jesus said, the lusts of your father you will do to the people that were disobedient to God. I don't want the devil's lusts to become my lusts. I don't want his arrogance. I don't want his pride. I don't want his perversions. I don't want his greed. Because ultimately, I don't want his end. I don't want it to be that God would say, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. You see, because the devil seduced Adam into obeying him, he by de facto became the world's God. And the Bible refers to him as the God of this world. Not the ultimate almighty God, no, but the one to be blamed for the systems of this world, for the dysfunction of this world. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air the God of this world, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. If we're not in compliance with God, if we're not under God's control, if we decide that we can just not let God have his way in areas of our life, we open up doors to allow Satan to come in. This is the picture of what happened in the Garden of Eden. So Satan, in his effort as the prince of the power of the air, of this, the one that's causing disobedience and, 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 and inspiring disobedience and enforcing and, and reinforcing disobedience in other people's lives, 
in his efforts to seek conformity to himself. He's doing it in rebellion against God. Amazingly, he will demand absolute obedience, he who is the universe's biggest rebel and the biggest hypocrite possible. He got into Judas Iscariot's heart because Judas loved money, maybe the control, the uh, things that money could buy. He was a thief, the Bible says, and bear the, the bag, which was the communal bag of the monies to provide the needs for Jesus and the rest of the disciples. Every now and then he would be tempted and would dip out of that bag and take for himself and took things that didn't belong to him. Because of his greed, he allowed himself to become disgruntled against the, the Messiah, against the very Savior of the world and betrayed him. What happens when a person gives in to Satan, when he gives Satan control of their life? It's a, something that could, should cause us to shudder. It should make us fear because of what happened to Judas. Amazingly, Judas' name is Judah. Praise the 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 one named after Judah, the tribe of Judah from which Christ would come. That's what he was named after. But the highest name and the best pedigree could not stop him from falling when he allowed Satan into his heart. So in grasping for forbidden fruit, as Adam did and as other humans do, Adam went from the eternal son. He was never supposed to die. He had the opportunity to live forever. He went from eternal son to a temporal rebel, rebel. God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But the devil said, no, no, don't listen to God. There's another viewpoint. Let me give you an alternative reality. To some people, truth is malleable. Whatever you believe is real. But God's truth is the real truth. And it's unfortunate that some people won't find that but the hard way. Seeking and claiming control over things that did not belong to him only degraded Adam, only degrades us. Instead of empowerment, he was enslaved. And we've been enslaved ever since and so many times in our quest for more empowerment, more control. Things that we are not allowed to have. Lusts, desires beyond the will of God. We find ourselves more enslaved. I'll tell you that religion is not the answer. Oh no, not at all. What happens when the religion becomes the religion of the region? What happens when people gain dominance? We could obviously see that Islam itself is can be viewed more as a social-political force than a religion because it became so enforced. It became a dominant political factor as it took over one one kingdom after another, one country, nation after another through force. It wasn't spread through the preaching of the words of Allah by Muhammad. It was spread by the blood-dripped sword because dominance would cause people to obey. Amazingly, if I, if I lived in one of those countries and I knew the history of what had happened to my forefathers, it would cause me to rebel against those rebelling against God. It would cause me to rise up and say, you know what, this isn't right. I'm not going to give in to the group think. I'm going to allow myself to think clearly the way that God wants me to think. I'm not advocating everybody doing whatever is right in their own eyes. No, not at all. I'm advocating people doing what's really right in the eyes of God. 
But don't don't kid yourself. It's not just Islam that's the problem. If you went to India or if you went to a Buddhist nation, you would find yourself under the thumb of the dominance of the religious class there. If you go to a strictly atheistic communist state, it's the same way there. Communism can be viewed as a religion. Certainly in America, uh, atheism has been termed a worldview, therefore a religion by a court case in the United States. And even Christians are susceptible to this. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Christians are susceptible to this. To dominating other people unjustly? Absolutely. I'm not trying to be rude about this, but the history of the Catholic Church in Europe for and sometimes was pretty brutal. I don't think that modern day Catholics would have anything to do with that, but we need to understand that when people get in dominance, that's what happens. And don't blame them. Hold on. Let's talk about the states, the United States of America. The states, most of them were formed because individual religious groups wanted their own state to be able to practice their religion in the free, free world without being persecuted. But what, what happened ironically in the states, uh, in the early part of the United States and before the states became the United States, was that they would, they would persecute the people that weren't going along with their state religion. When the United States were formed, one of the things that was that was a, a seminal reason why they wanted to separate the federal government from being in control of religion was because the states already had their religions. You could go to jail for not going to church. You'd be put in the stocks. Involvement in or religious people or religious viewpoints out of religion of politics, but he didn't want a church state to dominate the true Christians because people control one another. They try to control one another. And we're all people. Who's in control? God never called on us Christians. I want to make this absolutely clear. We have a new covenant. We're not under the Old Testament. We're not under we're not under the way that God uh, uh, instituted the, the or punished those that dissent from Christian viewpoints. There's no place in the New Testament that tells us to do that ever, ever. Using the Old Testament as a moot point, we're not under that covenant. Jesus said, whosoever will. When we coerce people to see things our way, how are they allowed the opportunity to make a choice? We're making the choice for them. They can never be judged as a lover of God that way. They had to do it or they would die. God's not looking for people that are coerced to love and serve and obey him. He's looking for people that want to love him. He's looking for people that are excited about him. He's saying, whosoever will. This is why we can't coerce people. This is why the in the arsenal of what I have to offer the world is simply the word of God. All I can do is tell them the message. I'm... I may feel a civic duty to get involved because I feel like people need to be protected from other people. So I'll definitely vote pro-life because I don't think it's a moral thing to allow people to kill their babies. And I think that we need to recognize that the right to death movement has already taken a nasty turn in the direction of euthanasia of people that don't want to die, that are determined by their doctors to be unhappy that they therefore should be terminated. But God made life. God made every life. 
And I don't believe that I have a right to kill myself. And I don't believe I have a right to kill anybody else. Anyway, God wants us to follow and obey him for our good. Problem is we don't trust him, huh? We think we know better than him. I've seen that look in the eye. I've seen it when the person gets that, oh yeah, I know better. Oh yeah, you're not tri tricking me. You're not manipulating me. But I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I realize that there are some people that manipulate other people. Well, all I want you to do is look in the Word of God and obey God. Listen to Him. And I'm just trying to tell you what He says. So, you know, God wants what's good for us. He wants what's good, but He wants us to have our own consent. Indeed, beyond that, He wants our devotion. Sometimes this desire for control shows itself in religious hacks. That's what I call them. They're unbiblical ways of getting power from God or getting blessings or favor from God. You find this in a lot of Christianity in the different forms of Christianity. Um, for instance, the, the, the idea that if you pray inside of a circle, God's more likely to answer your prayer. I'm, can you do me a favor and show me where that is in the pages of the scripture? It's not there. Uh, that may be if you, uh, if you visualize it when you pray for it, that somehow that's a hack and it'll give you an inside track to get whatever you want from God. They call that Hinduism, by the way. Um, this came to us through New World, New Age religion, and it's certainly not part of Christianity. You can't find that declared in the Bible, not in the New Testament either. People thinking that uh, they have more powers than they really have because they want to be in control. I, I, I need to explain to you that it's better that God be in control. It's not, it's not a good thing for you to be in control of everything. That you can relax and it's going to be all right. You see, in other words, he was trying to say that he is and has God-like powers and so do the Christians. So do the people of God have God-like powers. Nowhere in the Bible does, the, does it tell us that we have God-like powers. You see, they've taken the notion that if we speak to this mountain and it should obey us and doubt not in our hearts to be faith in our faith rather than faith in God, faith in prayer, faith when we're doing the will of God then that a disease could leave that person because it glorifies God. Instead, it becomes an empowerment, something in which we have control. We are to be admired for great ministers of power and righteousness. We can declare whole things in the Bible that, I mean, as Bible that aren't in the Bible, we have control over these things. So many little pipsqueaks claiming so much power. And yet we don't need to just speak the word to make our words come to pass. We need to know the word of God and speak the real word of God. You see, God's got a plan of salvation. The first Part of that plan is believing. That means trusting God. It means understanding that it's okay if he's in control. The second element of that plan of salvation is to repent. That means to relinquish your control. Some people translate it and talk about it as surrender, giving up, saying, okay, God, you've got this. People run their lives. The testimony of so many Christians is that they ran their lives. They did things their own way until they got to a point in which they realized they've only gotten themselves stuck in a thicket of, of sin they couldn't get out of. 
Then they surrender their lives to God in brokenness and tears, and God begins to make something beautiful out of their life when God's in control. So I would say it like this. Come out with your hands up. Surrender to God. Because he came down with his hands out. He came down to give to you, to die for you, to show you a God that was so good that he would do that. That if you can trust anybody, you could trust him. What you deserve, what I deserve from him is total annihilation. Eternal punishment, suffering forever. What he offers us is eternal life, sonship, and glory. I think you can trust him. I think you can trust him. If you can trust anybody, you can trust Jesus. See, there's these guys on the deck and they were doing all this stuff. Yeah, They thought, oh, oh, we're in control, Paul. Be quiet. We know what we're doing. It almost reads amusingly if you read it that way. You know, they supposed that they had control of it. Oh, the wind's blowing just right. We got this. We looked at the weather report. We're in control now. We've got the inside track. We've got the information. God said, okay, it's time to turn the weather around. So they sailed close by the island of Crete. And not long after this tempestuous wind, uh, the words for, for this wind, Eurachlodon, means it was a typhoon, basically. It was a really wild wind. It's whipping up the waves and the ship was caught. And it is nothing the ship could do. They couldn't make the ship go into land. It was stuck in the windstorm. And any time, any time it would approach land, it would crash. They were out of control. The ship was out of control. They did what little they could to try to, to control the ship. But uh, they just let it go. They said, well, we have to just let the ship go and hopefully we don't crash. And then, and then, uh, they, they had to do things to haul up and, and secure the lifeboats and, and when they uh, they 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 did things to try to secure the ship, they they threw straps around the underside of the ship. They undergirded it and wrapped it around to keep the thing from breaking apart. Because oh, we got to exercise what control that they, that we have. And they were still afraid. They didn't fix anything, and and uh, they were afraid that they would uh, run into the quicksands. And they were tossed up and down. How's your control working out for you? You know, and. Uh, then they thought, well, here's what we need to do. We, uh, if we throw all the stuff off the ship, that will give us more control. And so they started to throw the valuable cargo overboard. And uh, sun and stars didn't appear for many days, the Bible says. And, and it was the, the storm just continued and, and they, they just took, they took away their hope. Why did it take away their hope? Because they had hope in themselves. While they were up there on the deck doing everything they could with their hands grabbing control of everything. We're going to make this happen. We got this, guys. Or we hope we do. Paul was down below with his hands lifted in surrender to God, praying to God, Oh God, deliver us from this calamity. And God responded to his prayer. Paul didn't make God do that. No, God already had a plan. Paul prayed according to God's plan and in that particular, God worked through his prayers. And um, it says here uh, that God had given him a promise. God said, you know what? God showed me we're, we're not going to have any loss or harm of life. We're going to lose the, the ship. We're going to lose the what's left of the ship. But be of good cheer. God sent his angel. Paul was saying that when he surrendered to God, 
that uh, he, he learned, he had learned something. You see, he was a religious person that wanted to control. Think about it. He had a control issue himself. Oh, yes. You see, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. And he prided himself on keeping the integrity of the Judaistic faith. He was going to eradicate the Christians. He was going to get rid of that sect of the Nazarenes. And so he persecuted him from city to city. That was the nature of the authoritarian in him. He took it upon himself to locate and to capture the Christians and to and to cause them to be punished, some of them to be put to death. He, he was a chief persecutor of the church. He was a blasphemer. He was injurious to the church. He said, I want to be in control. I, I need to do this. He even thought he was doing it for God. Of course, he was doing it for his ego's sake. Because the Bible says that he prided himself on the fact that he profited in the Jews' religion above many his equals. He thought, I'm going to make name for myself as a zealous person. I'm going to be like Judas Maccabean, Maccabeus, and I'm going to get rid of all the infidels, and I'm going to make everybody a pure worshiper of God. But he was fighting against the very God he was supposed to be helping. And when Paul accost, was accosted on that road, Saul saw, why, why dost thou persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. In the mad long rush that people have to dominate, sometimes even through religion, they can find themselves doing the work of persecuting the real church. But Paul had learned now, and no longer was he trying to be Paul the Great. Saul of Tarsus, now he is Paul, which meant little. That's the, the, the name that he would allow himself to be called by. And not just the name, he called himself, he was called an apostle. He admitted the fact that he was sent by God. We we, we use that term apostle as some great uh, digni dignified um, title. That's not how the apostles used it of themselves. They did have authority, but they were underneath God. Apostle means one sent. They recognized themselves as messengers of the gospel. And so Paul called himself also a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ said, I just do what he tells me to do. I'm not responsible for the results. I'm not in control of everything. I've got a limited sphere of control. The most important thing that I have control of is myself. He said, but I buffet my body and bring it under subjection, lest that any time after I preach to others, I myself should become a castaway. So he realized that he needed to be a servant and to follow God because God was in control. He told Paul what would happen. God told Paul how it would happen, that God would make him happen, make it happen. Here's an interesting tidbit about this whole trip. Before Paul ever started this trip, he was in these councils before Felix and Festus and Herod. And, and uh, he had all these people and he kept appealing to Caesar. And what happened ultimately was there was a letter of accusation that was written against him that was sent with him on the boat. When he got to Rome, the Jews there didn't know what to say because the letter didn't go with them. You know where that letter ended up? The bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. Because God knew what he was doing. God had more work for Paul to do. So the false accusations all waterlogged you see whether the accusations got through or not it was a good thing to trust in god it was a good thing for god to be in control 
He said, I believe God. I believe God it shall be even as he told me. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Hmm. People say, well, I don't understand. I need to know why. Can I remind you that omniscience is God's business too? And he controls information. Jesus actually said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Proverbs again, I'll start over. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. He never says here to fear a religious institution. He never says here to fear some teacher. He never says to fear some consensus of public thought. He says to fear the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Of course, that's going to include doing what he wants, believing that God's going to work it out for good. Even if you have to suffer at the hands of men for it, God will bless it. He's got to prove whether you're obedient some way or not. So trust in the Lord, the Bible says. Now, repeatedly, the Bible says in the Old Testament to trust in the Lord. In the New Testament, we're told to believe in God, to believe God. And the just shall, you know, live by his faith. I want to make a connection for you between those more often statements of trusting God in the Old Testament and the statements so often of more blatant believing in God and help you understand they are one thing. They mean the same thing. It may be different words, but they're getting at the same point. See, the Bible talks about people needing to trust Jesus. And of course, that would be to any Jewish mind. Trust Jesus. Why would I trust Jesus? I trust God. That's a statement about Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said, believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, you believe in me the way you believe in God. He was making a statement about who he was. He was making a statement, therefore, of why we could trust God because of the nature of God. You want to know what God is like? He's not an evil, mean, vindictive, harsh father, you know, carrying around a big swatch, to, you know, a switch to whack you with. Whenever you step out of line, not going to knock you to the floor. He's not going to, you know, be loud and obnoxious like so many human fathers are. It's one of the dangers when I tell people to look at God as their fathers. I got to say, yeah, but not like some bad fathers are. And if you'd had a bad dad, get that out of your mind because our Heavenly Father is not like that. Heavenly Father is only good to us and would only punish us for our good if he did punish us. But he gives us so many good and blessed things. He's he's not to be dreaded, but he is to be feared. He needs to be loved. So we trust in the Lord because we know what God is like because when we look at Jesus, we've got a picture of what God is like. He went about doing the will of God. He went about undoing the damage that came on the human race because of disobedience. He went about healing the sick and went about opening blinded eyes and letting deaf ears hear. He went about raising the dead and destroying all the works of the devil, casting out demons and giving people peace and joy, security that came in trusting in him. So no wonder the Bible says, the Lord is good, blesses the man that puts his trust in him. 
So when we talk about surrendering, when we talk about the notion of letting God be in control, we could say that that would be expressed in uh, walking in the Spirit. That that would be expressed by letting ourselves follow God's plan of salvation, not taking other men's words for it. Jesus never gave authority to the early church fathers to give us Scripture. Things are never to be held in the same level of authority as Scripture. If they say anything out of line with Scripture, they're to be avoided. If they say too much out of line with Scripture, they're to be shunned altogether. That goes for all of the traditions and, and the notions and the customs that find themselves into religion. That it should be a matter that we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, but not in man. So the Bible tells us, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It's not a matter of pick and choose. And I realize that as human beings, we're not always going to all the time be ever obedient. That's not just, it's not in our nature. But there's going to be a people that God transforms when they allow this transformation to take place. And when they allow God's spirit to work in their life. It happened for me when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Religion didn't help me. I was still addicted. I was still habitual. I still had habits. I still had things that I couldn't overcome. But when I got the Holy Ghost... I let God take control. God, you step into the seat. You, you, you do what I can't do. Jesus put it so succinctly when he said in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. So he said that you are the, you are, I'm the vine and you are the branches and except the, the branch abide in the vine, you know, there's just no hope for it. In other words, I just, it's, it's useless to just take, cut it off, burn it up. It's useless. And without God's control of our life, we just make a mess of it. So what if you made a mess up to this point? What if, what if you feel like things are out of control? It's easy to feel like things are out of control. Maybe we put too much trust in government. We've had a pretty good government in as much as they've followed you know, Judeo-Christian rules, but they're getting away from that more and more. There's a lot of people that feel like the contract, that there's some kind of a contract made with the individual. I remember reading the transcript from a fisheries meeting about land use, that that would affect the salmon fisheries purportedly. That wasn't even conclusive that it did, but um, the idea was posited that people should not be allowed to live in watersheds. <laughs> of course, everything's a watershed. Water runs downhill from everywhere, but they should not be allowed to live anywhere where they can impact the environment of the salmon. Let's get out of the way and let the salmon run. And one of the nut jobs at the meeting, his words were, society needs to rethink their contract with the individual. When I read that, I couldn't help but say out loud, who do you think you are? Do you speak for all of society, sir, whoever you are, you nut job? That you want, you think that somehow you have the right, that, that there was a, a contract that some society out there made with the individual? No, our government in America is, is the people. Of the people, for the people. It is we the people that is supposed to be in control of our government for our common good. That's all predicated on the notion that we'd be a, a noble and a righteous and a godly people. 
maybe different expressions of Christianity, but people that fear God and don't want to do evil to their neighbor. People that want to walk in the law of the Lord. The notion that we'd be so secular, I think that most of the founding fathers would shudder at, at, at the nature of our secular nation at this point. Somebody expressed the idea that this uh, this virus was the judgment of God. It might be. Maybe it's a wake-up call from God. You know, I told you before about the locusts that are uh, that were devastating Africa, and it just got worse. There's another swarm of locusts. They say it's going to be 20 times worse. You talk about food insecurity. I don't know if it's the last days or not, but I do know that God's angry at sin, and yet he offers to deliver his people out of that. But don't shun his offer. Don't say, no, no, I got this. I'm in control. Don't say, well, I'll, I'll obey God to this point, or I'll follow these people. I'll trust them. They know better when you should follow what God said. You need to know the word of God. You can't say, well, I'll, I'll let somebody else interpret it for me. And if they say the sinner's prayer, that's all I need, then that's what I'm going to go with. And that's not really obeying God now, is it? That's obeying those leaders. So it's a form of disobedience. So we can trust Jesus. Praise God. We can trust Jesus. I remember when I was, uh, my wife's going to get angry at me, but God bless her. When I was courting my wife, I flew out from Stockton. Well, actually, I flew from Sacramento, but I lived in Stockton to, uh, Arizona to Phoenix got picked up by her family and went up to visit her in Flagstaff, Arizona because she was uh, such a cutie pie wanted to wanted to spend some time with her during the summer break from college you're right honey it is so sweet to trust in Jesus I see so many people so uh, confused and frustrated in their minds and I do feel for them but my answer to you is to ask you this question so that you can really resolve it in your hearts and recognize that you never really were in control. The government never really was in control. God's in control. And all things work together for good to them that love God. Psalm 62 verse 8 says this, Trust in Him at all times. Ha! <laughs> I'll trust in him whenever the economy's doing good. That's what I'll do there, preacher. I'll trust in him whenever I got my career together. I'll trust in him when I got a new family and my wife's with me and my babies are healthy. That's when I'll trust God. That's what, yeah, I can trust God because things are working out for you. Where is the, the Jobs of the world that would say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Where's the person that has the faith that says, you know what? This life is only temporary anyway. If they kill me, I just go to heaven. So they're just giving me a shortcut. That's my ultimate goal. Where's the real faith? Bible says trust in him. In other words, believe in him at all times. In the good times, in the bad times. The bad times, you'll find great peace and great relief when you trust in him. He'll keep him in perfect peace. His heart, his mind is stayed on him. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I don't know so much about the, the government being able to save us. Because ultimately, like I said, they're going to run out of money. 
Because it's our money anyway. I don't know so much about having a religious leader that I can trust in. Although there are many godly men that I respect and regard and listen to them. But I know I can trust in Jesus. And I know you can too. God bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have dealings with us here on earth. Thank you, God, that you came and you were manifest in the flesh. Thank you, God, that your word says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily so that we can understand who you are and what you're like and we can realize that we can indeed trust in you. You, Jesus, have the keys of hell and of death and of the grave. Lord, I pray that in the ears of the hearers, you, they could hear those keys jingling and understand that they're jingling in the hands that are nail-scarred, that sacrificed for them, and only good for their good will happen, for all things work together for good to them that love God. Bless them, Lord, and give them peace in this time. I pray that the Holy Spirit of peace would come upon them, that they would not be troubled, but that they would trust you in their circumstances, would not feel imprisoned anymore, would not feel stuck in a life they don't want to have anymore, God, but they would recognize the glorious liberty of the sons of God, that really when they become servants of God, everything in their life becomes an opportunity to serve you. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.